chapter 3, 2 Timothy chapter 3, and if you're able to, let's stand tonight for the reading of God's Word, 2 Timothy chapter number 3, and we're going to look at really just three verses tonight, such a tremendous passage. I love uh, First and Second Timothy, uh, maybe because of what God's called me to do, there's a lot of instruction, not only for myself, for many of us, and uh, I find such encouragement uh, from these, these smaller books that God has given to us, oftentimes referred to as pastoral epistles. And uh, so we'll take a look here at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, and then we'll read verses 12, 13, and 14, all right? So verse 1, verse 12, 13, and 14. And so if you have your Bibles there and you're able to, let's read these together. So once we finish verse 1, we'll drop down to verse 12, and read 12, 13, and 14. All right, here we go. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Verse 12. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and has been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this evening. Bless your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated tonight. Thank you for standing and reading the word of God. I love to hear God's people reading the word of God together. What a blessing it is that we have such wonderful divine instruction from the Word of God. Every time we look into it, God helps us. And as we live in these times that we live in, notice that I've entitled the message tonight, Caution Hazards Ahead. You've been on a road and you start to see the signs and maybe it's cones, maybe it's flashing lights, something that identifies that there's something going on down the road. And if you're like me, a lot of times when I see that, I try to start to get over right away. I want to get over out of harm's way. I want to be prepared for what's coming down the road. But there's always that person who stays in that lane that's about to end, who tries to beat the traffic or disregards the warning sign. Folks, we have to have our spiritual antennae on and realize there are some hazards according to the word of God that are ahead of us and we need to be aware of those because when you when you think about this world we live in no matter what's going on around us and I do think that we are seeing what the Bible calls perilous times that no matter what's going on around us we must be faithful to do what we know is right to do we must stay faithful in this day and hour that we live in. And I think a great example of this, anybody here ever a part of what I call the farming life? Anybody ever farm? Probably very few people that, that actually, and, and I never was a farmer, didn't come from a farm family. But I, I had cousins that lived the next state over, and there were times where I would go over as a, now, back then you thought it was fun. You know, you thought, hey, this is awesome, and they had many different kinds of crops. We'd go over and we'd bale hay. We'd go over and we'd, uh, we'd put the corn in, and we'd shuck the corn, and we'd pick apples at an apple orchard. And I'm telling you, looking back on it, that was slave labor is what it was. Uh, they, I mean, they were, they were thinking, boy, we got all that for nothing. We didn't pay them. And I, every time I would go pick apples, I would always eat more than I picked, I think come away with a bellyache, but I think about farmers, I think about the life that they live, and a couple of thoughts I had about farming to tie into 2 Timothy chapter 3 is that a farmer's life is governed by the crop that they want to grow, and it is governed by the weather. They need the rain. They need the sunshine. The crop that they want to grow is governed by the weather and it's governed by what they want to grow. And when the springtime comes, if you 
have ever been anywhere near farming country, that's when the farmers head out to the fields to plant. Maybe they've had the seed in the barn. Maybe they've been waiting for the proper time, but they head out and they go out in the field to plant regardless of what is happening in the news. I love farming people. Most of the time, and I don't mean this as a disrespect, they're just very simple, hardworking people. They don't pay attention to what's going on in the news. Matter of fact, if you went to farm country today, most of them would probably wouldn't really know a whole lot about what's going on in the political world today, what's going on in the news, because you know what's important to them is their crop and what they're going to yield from planting that crop. During the harvest time for a farmer, that's when you'll find them back out in their fields picking their crop. And again, they're out there picking the crop despite what's going on in society around them. Why? Because they have a job to do. There is something that needs their attention and they need to make sure that they are doing what they know is right to do. It's a great lesson for us. I think about how many Christians today, they see all these things going on in the world, in society, in the political arena. And what's happened is, is it has halted us in our tracks as Christians to do what we know is right to do. See, instead of being out in the field planting seed, instead of being out in the field seeing the harvest come in, we have uh, found ourselves being frozen and not doing that which we know is right to do. Farmers have to be attentive to their crop or they will not reap their harvest. And I've discovered that all of us from time to time, I think as human beings, we all have mood swings. Some people are moodier than others. Not necessarily thinking about anybody in particular, but some people are very moody. We have upticks in our lives and downticks in our lives. Most of us are affected emotionally by the news. That's why I tell you all the time, don't ingest too much news. Watch, watch maybe 30 minutes of it, turn it off. Because if you haven't learned by now, they just continue to run the news over and over again, and the depression just gets deeper and deeper as you watch it over and over again. But a lot of us emotionally are affected by the news, by phobias. We've allowed the pandemic and, and emotions and phobias to push us away from that which we know to be our Christian responsibility. Folks, look, we have to understand, just like the farmer, there are things that God has given to us that we cannot just put on the back burner or put on hold or ignore those responsibilities because of what is going on. I'm not downplaying the pandemic and I'm not downplaying what's going on in the world, but God has given us responsibilities and we allow the perilous to cause us to not do the necessary. Now, I mentioned this morning, I used the word unraveling. That's what the word perilous means. You ever get a, a snag in your clothes, and you see it, and you, you start to pull it? Before long, you've got a, an entire streak on your garment, because it's, it's unraveling. That's what's happening in the world today. Because of sin... Because of the perilous times, things are unraveling. We just read the verse. Things are not getting better, folks. Things are getting worse and worse. I'm not trying to depress you. I'm just trying to get you to see that the warning signs that there are hazards ahead. A lot of times people say, oh, things are going to get better. Not according to the Word of God. Things are waxing worse and worse. God will sometimes... And just like in ever since, I guess, February, God will allow these times of challenges in our lives in order to train us for an even more serious test of faith that God, listen, we might not know, but God knows these tests are coming down the line in our lives. God knows what is ahead of us because God knows all things. So God allows challenges in our lives to grow us. Have you noticed how many businesses have closed? 
Can I tell you that there's a lot of church houses that have closed too? We've become apathetic. Instead of realizing that God is the God of the mountains and he's the God of the valleys, that God gives us challenging times because God knows that there are more serious tests that lie ahead of us than what we're going through now. God's preparing us. God wants to use us. But oftentimes we allow ourselves to just unravel like the world around us during these perilous times. We need to accept these challenging times so that when things do unravel, that we'll be ready. Now look, I don't know if we're ever really fully prepared. We do a lot of things around here during the week and week in and week out and it's kind of funny because about every week we find ourselves, Brother Kenny and I, doing something and, and I'll look at him and I'll say something like this, they didn't teach you that in Bible college, did they? I told Brother Kenny, I said, you know, you ought to be writing all this stuff on a resume. I said, someday I'm going to tell you, you're going to dazzle somebody. You know, he's, Brother Kenny is a professional um, uh, styrofoam cutter. He's a professional flag hanger at the church. I mean, Brother Kenny, he's a talented guy. He really is. You know, we, I'll tell you, pastors got him doing all kinds of things, you know. And when I think about our lives, look, we have to be serious about what God has given to us. Why? Because God knows what is coming ahead. And look, we have to be ready for when those things that God brings our way. And the Bible mentions here in 2 Timothy chapter 3, these perilous times. You know what perilous times will do to many people, even Christians? It'll cause us to doubt God's goodness. People get, get really strange when things like this happen, and they'll say, you know, if God loved me, well, you, you need to just stop right there. God does love you. God would not, never tempt you for evil. God would never hurt you as his child. That's, that's a mentality that is against the very word of God. God brings these times into our lives as challenging times test so that we'll be ready when these perilous times come. Don't doubt God's goodness in your life. Now look, there are people in the Bible that found themselves doubting God. How about this, Thomas? That's how, how would you like to be known as doubting Thomas? Remember how Jesus appeared? Again, it was no accident, but there were only 10 because Judas was already gone. But Thomas wasn't there. Thomas shows up and, boy, the rest of them, man, you missed it, Thomas. It was awesome. Jesus was here. Thomas says, well, except I see. And then Jesus appears to the 11 when Thomas is there. Thomas had some doubts. By the way, I wonder how many of us would have. Not only Thomas, I look in the word of God, I see John the Baptist. Remember how John the Baptist was in prison? And he told some of his disciples he sent them to Jesus to ask Jesus if he was really the one. Sounds to me like he had some doubts. John the Baptist, Thomas, how about Peter? Peter had some moments of doubt. You know, I've known some great preachers in my, that, that are contemporary with me, and I've known some great preachers of days of old who have had moments of doubt. Can I just say tonight that it's not a sin to doubt, but it is a sin to doubt when God has given you the answers in his word. God's given us his answers in the word of God. We need to understand that God doesn't want us to remain in doubt. As we think about these perilous times, notice three things that we must do during perilous times. The first one is, you and I, as God's children, we need to live a life of courage. Courage in a day of difficulty. 
And look again in, in chapter number 3 and verse number 12. The Bible says this, Yea, or yes, all that will live godly. This morning I ask, are you living a righteous life? Are you living for the Lord? Would people call you a Christian by your words and your deeds? And the Bible says, if the answer is yes, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. The Bible says that. Jesus told his followers that following him, living the Christian life, would not be an easy life. God's never promised us smooth seas. The Bible says in Luke 9, 32, or 23, look at this. And he, Jesus, said unto them, talking about his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself. Well, that's a tough one to start with. Put yourself down, put yourself last. Put the Lord first, then others. He says, let him deny himself. And then watch this. After you deny yourself, take up his cross. What's that next word? Daily. It's a daily cross. It's something daily we have to deal with. Paul said in the word of God, I die daily. You know why? Because the old flesh just keeps getting up every day. Just keeps getting up every day. We're so full of ourselves. And when we're full of ourselves, there's no room for God. Jesus said, if anyone wants to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Luke, Luke 9, 62. Jesus said unto him, he was talking to a man that wanted to be one of his disciples. And he says unto this man, no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back at the old life, looking back at the life that he used to live is fit for the kingdom of God. Folks, look, I'm going to tell you something. From the moment God saved me almost 36 years ago, I've never looked back. You know why? Because there's nothing to look back to. It was not the good old days. I'll be honest with you, I'm glad God saved me. I just wish I would have got saved earlier. I think about all those years that were wasted. Brother Flynn, I think you were 40, weren't you, when you got saved? 40. That man right there wasted 40 years. That's the reality. How many years did you waste? But make the most of what God's given to you when you put your hand to the plow. Don't look back. Keep serving the Lord. And the Bible tells us we have to live a life of courage. Why? Because we're living in a day of difficulty. The Bible says in John 16, 33, these things I have spoken unto you. Jesus here is talking to his disciples. Notice what he says to them. He says, in me, ye might have peace. Now watch this. How many of you want to have the peace that passes all understanding, the peace that only God can give you? Isn't that wonderful to have God's peace? Jesus said, look, he says, in me, you can have peace. That's okay, Lord. I'd rather have what the world has. You don't want my peace? My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth peace, give I unto you. Jesus said, look, I want to give you my peace. Look at the verse. In the world ye shall have tribulation. Who in their right mind would trade peace, the peace of God, for trouble? But Jesus said, look, he says, my peace I give unto you. Be of good cheer. Why? Because he's overcome the world. See, he says, look, I can give you peace during a day of difficulty uh, to help you live a life of courage. The early church, they understood this. They understood the cost of being a disciple of the Lord, of experiencing persecution. Look at Acts 14. Confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith, and that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. Through much tribulation. Not some, not a little. What's the word, umpokito? 
Did I say that right? Some of you, is that right? A little. Un poquito, yeah, that's what I thought. So here's the thing is, he says, look, the early church, they understood that as the disciples of the Lord, as, as they were saved by the grace of God, that they must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. But we live in a day of difficulty. There's anarchy today. There are people that are atheists that believe in no God. They are atheistic. No God. There are people today that are God-haters in this land. Amazing. But the Bible says, what do we need to do that know him? We need to live a life of courage in the day of difficulty. Not only is it a day of difficulty, but it's a day of deception, and we need courage. As we look at 2 Timothy, look at verse 13 of chapter 3, where the Bible says, evil men, evil men, and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Now look at those words there. Notice the word seducers. The word carries this idea of imposters. Evil men and imposters, false teachers, they're going to wax worse and worse. Wax means here that they're, gonna, they're going to, wax is something that you would put on, like if there was a crack in a, a vase or something, uh, back in the day they would have a lot of pottery, they, they would try to sell it, but it had a crack in it, so what they would do is fill it with wax. But as soon as it got hot enough, the wax would all melt. And he says here, look, he says that's the way it's going to be, in a day of deception, there's going to be imposters, and they're, they're going to become worse and worse, and they're, they're going to continue. Hey, look, they've got into every major university in our land. False teachers propagating humanistic philosophies instead of what thus saith the Lord. And our young people are being spoon-fed with all these lies and falsehoods. Satan and his followers, hey, look, don't underestimate the devil because he and those that are following him, they are, they are masters at being subtle in their trickeries. They take words. And they take these words and they give them different meanings. You know today, you have to define the word Christian. The word saved. I mean, we're living in a time where no matter what Bible word you use, you have to explain it. You have to define it. Words can be given different meaning. You think about, here's a great example. A child in the womb. And this is a major thing right now. And by the way, you, you, you think about this. They've been asked twice on the media that if you get elected, are you going to stack the Supreme Court? Twice, no answer. That's your answer. The people that they're going to stack the Supreme Court is basically going to be where they can do whatever, make whatever laws that they want in our land. And you think about what the Bible teaches us. I believe life begins at conception. Why do I believe that? Because that's what the Bible teaches. Hey, look, things happen. I get it. But I think of how many families and young people, young couples that would love to have a child, and yet we're murdering childs by the millions. 70 million. Amazing. And how we justify that a child in the womb will be called, listen, this is the wording, a product of conception. That's the wording that they use nowadays. Why would they use that wording? Because what they do by using a product of conception, they use that to dehumanize the little baby, the little child, the little boy or little girl, so that abortion will be about the pregnant woman only with no thought for the other life that's about to be destroyed. So the devil will take certain words and give them different meanings. The prime target for the devil, for Satan, in this matter of deceit, is Bible-believing churches. The devil loves to destroy Bible-believing churches. The devil loves to get into churches, 
many churches and whole denominations that once taught that salvation, according to the word of God, is only through Jesus' blood. Now they have a social gospel that does no longer teach that there must be repentance, and if one does not repent, that God's wrath will not bother them anymore. Look, emotional appeals are used frequently to draw people away from Jesus Christ who really ought to be their first love. Look at the Bible says here in 1 Timothy chapter 4, look at this verse. Now the Spirit, this is talking about the Holy Spirit of God, speaketh expressly. That word expressly deals with speaking to us clearly. By the way, God's not playing games with us with his word. He wants us to understand it. He wants us to know it and say, Pastor, I read it a lot. I don't understand it. That's why God's given you his spirit. And the Bible says here that the spirit speaking expressly that in the latter times, some shall depart from the faith. Well, why would they do that? Notice why. Giving heed, they're listening to, they're on the internet, they're sitting in the college, university classes, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. They begin following those teachings. We've seen a lot of these young people that get caught up in this and all of a sudden they are, they are, are a part of a cause that is anti-American. See, how does that happen? Because they sit and they listen because evil men and seducers, they are giving heed to seducing spirits and the doctrines of devils. Look, the word that we use for this is the word apostasy, which means a falling away from the faith. That's what the Bible says here. That they are falling away from the faith that they once knew. And before they know it, they are drawn away from what they believe. And there's a lot of young people today that used to be in church and used to know what they believe, but no longer. Why? Because they've been seduced away. Satan has had much success in attacking the, uh, the biblical do, uh, doctrine of inerrancy, where, where the, the devil wants us to believe that there are errors in the Bible. Now, let me help you with something tonight. First of all, there is no errors in the Word of God. Second of all, if there's one error and there's not, then there could be two. And if there's two, there could be three. But I believe with all my heart, because this is God's word, not man's, that it is inerrant, it is infallible, that God has given us his word, and that it is absolute truth. We can trust God's word. I can't trust what man has to say, but I can trust what God has to say. And many teachers today are unwilling to humble themselves in their pride and admit that every answer that anyone would ever need in their life is found in the pages of the Word of God, whatever it is you're facing. God has given us a manual for life in the Bible. And the Bible says in Romans 3, 4, God forbid, yea, let God be true, but every man a liar. You see, the Bible says, God forbid, that someone, and heaven help us, that someone would teach that faith is not enough for salvation. For by grace are you saved through faith. You see, that's the whole idea of many religions today is it's a works-based. You have to do this. You have to do that. You have to add something to it. Listen, Jesus paid it all. The Bible says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But yeah, we want to take the word of God, change it, say there's errors in it. Anyone can justify open rebellion against God. Things like infidelity, stealing. Well, how do they do that? It all begins here in the battleground called the mind. They start to think it's okay. And what have they done? They've deceived themselves into thinking uh, as they think that God's clear instructions somehow, somehow do not apply to them. Well, that God is, God's talking about somebody else. That doesn't apply to me. That doesn't fit my life. They even, and I've seen many people do this, 
that are, that are living in open rebellion, and they can actually cite Bible verses to justify their sin to themselves. Paul's teachers in the early church, this was proven, they, they would stir up trouble, and one of the things that they did back in the day was they actually said that Jesus had already returned, that his return had happened, and that the church of that day was not included in that blessed event. Listen, folks, that was not true. Jesus still has not come back, but yet the devil many times tries to get the church to do things or to stir up the church or stir up trouble in the church. And Paul reminded them that there would be, before that event happened, there would be many that would reject biblical faith and before that event would happen, notice what the Bible says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, that ye be not soon shaken in your mind. The word shaken means to be quickly alarmed, uh, to be troubled, as the Bible says here, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by the letter, as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. In other words, he's talking here, making a reference to Christ's return whether or not it already had happened. He says, let no man deceive you by any means, for that day the return of the Lord shall not come except there come first a falling away. Now we're starting to see that. We're starting to see an apostasy, a falling away. But can I tell you that as I live and breathe, I believe with all my heart that God is not done yet. That God is still working in this day, that it's not the midnight hour, and that there is still great days ahead of us. If I didn't believe that, I'd pack it up and go find something else to do with my life. But I really believe God has something for the church still. See, there are those that are going to fall away from the Lord, and that's why we had a time of prayer earlier, and we'll do it these next couple Sundays. We may continue to do it, but there are going to be those that fall away from the Lord, but we must pray that you and I, as believers in Christ, that we will be able to stand. Remember the, the cautions that the hazard is ahead, that when those hazards, when those perilous times come, that we can stand for the Lord in that day, in that hour. I love the story in the book of Daniel, how Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, how there came a day where they stood before the king. I got a poor representation here, but I know a lot of times a picture is worth a thousand words. There's the big image that he set up. Notice where everybody's at, except for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're on their faces. Because they were all told, bow down. And I love these three Hebrew boys and what they said to this king who could have took their life. By the way, they ended up taking a trip through the burning, fiery furnace for what I'm about to read to you. Say, boy, I'm afraid if I say something, I might have to go through one of those burning, fiery furnaces. Hey, listen, if you do, God will go with you. You won't go through it alone. The Bible says as they stood there before the king, look at the words, if it be so, in other words, listen, if that's the way you see it, king, he says, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us notice there they are confident they are standing courageous in a day of difficulty a day of deception god will deliver us out of thy hand o king but if not in other words if it doesn't happen be it known unto thee king we're putting you on record right now that we will not serve the gods nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up hey look sounds to me like those three Hebrew boys stood courageously for the Lord in their day, and that's what God wants us to prepare ourselves for because the time is coming, a day of difficulty and a day of deception. See, during perilous times, God says, I want you to live a life, a life of courage, not in what we can do, but think about it. I read the verse this morning, greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. See, we need to live a life of courage, but then we need to live a life of conviction. A life of convictions. Anybody in here like me ever had somebody let you down? Man lets us down, don't they? Truth is, if I haven't yet, there'll probably come a day where I'll probably let you down. 
That's human nature. You know, and I see what happens to people, not just Christian people. When somebody makes a mistake, somebody fouls up. By the way, it can happen to any of us. But when that happens, man lets us down. It crushes us, changes our life, changes our world. Can I tell you how you can get around that, how you can get through that? Don't keep your eyes on man. Keep your eyes on the Lord. Looking unto Jesus. He's the author. He's the finisher of our faith. Hey, listen. The joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He says, if you want to live during perilous times, you've got to live a life of courage. But you've got to have some conviction. I was talking to Brother Rogan today, and I'm glad he's challenging our singles. To have some Bible-based convictions. You know, a lot of Christians don't know what they believe. I'm not down on anybody. But don't you think it's a good thing for a Christian to know what they believe? Now, look, not just because your mom and dad were church-going people, and not just because you came from a Christian family. I'm telling you, it is so important, especially as we are heading towards some hazards. Perilous times. How can we be ready if we don't know what we believe? Look at this passage tonight. I think of so many people who have let what's happened to them outwardly hurt them. Change who they are for Christ. You and I need to ask God to help us to maintain what we believe. Look, just because something happens to us, somebody hurts us, should that change what we believe, yes or no? No, it shouldn't. But so many times it does. We should not have doubts in our lives or remain in a state of doubt. Last week I mentioned, I think it was last week, about how the first three universities that were established in our country, Harvard, Princeton, and Yale, they were established as, as training grounds for preparing men and women to go into the ministry and to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and help people come to know him. And I thought it was interesting this week as I was preparing for the message tonight that one of those schools, Harvard, their school of divinity on their homepage, listen to what it reads. These are their words. Exploring all religions... While aligned to none, we have a pluralistic, multinational, multi-religious global context. You know the word that a lot of churches use nowadays? We're a non-denominational church. Do you know Jesus didn't die for denominations? Jesus said, I will build my church. You know what denominations are? They're a creation of man. They cause division. And you think about it. Look, our country can't get along, and they, there's just two political parties. You think about how many denominations there are today. Hey, listen, I'm not, I'm not interested. If somebody asks me, well, what religion are you or what faith are you? I might say I'm a Baptist, but listen, uh, before I even knew what a Baptist was, I became a Christian when I got saved. I became a Baptist by conviction. When I started to study the Bible, I started to see the doctrines of the Word of God. Had a young man in our church ask me the other day, Pastor, what's a fundamental? Hey, that was a great question. It was awesome for him to understand what the fundamentals of the faith are. Understand the basics of the Christian life, what the Word of God teaches. I think about God's word here and, and how, look, there are many today, many churches today, many religions, many denominations that are like Harvard's Divinity School. It's a shame that a school of divinity would say that we are exploring all religions while aligned to none. Somebody said, he who falls for everything stands for nothing. 
If God's word, listen to me, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but if God's word offends, then maybe it needs to offend. I don't want to be offensive. I don't want to say something that's offensive. I hope I don't. But I'll tell you one thing, when God's word strikes me in the head, when God's word stomps on my toes, then I think I needed it. There are people today that it's just anything goes, but notice what it says in our passage tonight in verse number 14, but continue, continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and been assured of. What is it you are, that, that you were taught when you got saved over all these years? What is it that you've learned that you've been assured of? The Bible says, continue in what you've learned. Continue in what you've been assured of. Not some new thing coming down the, down the pike. Not something that you read on the internet. Not some TV evangelist that's not a part of the local church. I'm talking about what the Bible has to say. And the Word of God says, continue thou. Don't doubt the things that you have learned and been assured of. And in the midst of perilous times where things are starting to unravel, what are we to do? We are to continue in the things that we have learned. The devil wants to use a powerful weapon called the media to cause us not to continue, but to discontinue. The devil would love to stop us as Christians. And so what are we to do? Live a life of conviction? I shared this when we had the home going of one of our dear brothers, Brother Gil, uh, Gerald Gilbert. I was going through Brother Gilbert's things, and the man had many books. He had many Bibles, and in the cover of one of his Bibles, I've, I've listed them there in the notes. I want you to see how that Brother Gilbert, even at 86 years of age, and by the way, he was 86 when he passed, but what he wrote in that Bible was written years before that, and he was still living by those convictions that he found in the Word of God, the doctrines of the Word of God. Notice as he wrote there in the cover of his Bible, because folks, listen, as we look at what he wrote, understand that perilous times, a lot of times, you know what perilous times will do? They will cause us to go along with the crowd. And, and you know what the crowd's always going to try to do? The crowd's going to try to move you away from the Lord, move you in a different direction. We need to be faithful in perilous times until the Lord comes back. And so, Brother Gilbert, with his own handwriting, he wrote these words, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. By the way, that's a big one. The devil's been taking an axe and trying to chop away at that root for so long now. Why? Because if he can prove that Jesus Christ was not the virgin-born Son of God, then he can prove that Jesus was just another man and that his blood was just like your blood and mine, that it was tainted and that he could not save anyone from their sins. But I'm thankful that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. He was the God-man, and through his veins flowed divine blood, that his blood would atone for the sins of the world, that he was the propitiation for our sins. I believe in the virgin, virgin birth of Jesus Christ. I believe, Gilbert wrote, I believe in being born again. Hey, that's not a bad word. You know why? Because that's a Bible word. You see, when we get saved, we've been physically born. Remember that conversation that, that Jesus had with Nicodemus? Nicodemus said, well, how can a man be born again? Can he enter again into the mother's womb a second time? Hey, listen, no, there's no mother in the world that would say, hey, let's try that again. Jesus said, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the spirit is spirit. You see, watch this. We all have had a physical birth. And we're all going to experience a physical death unless the Lord comes back. But there needs to be a time in everyone's life when they are born again by the Spirit of God. We call that salvation. You see, we must, as Nicodemus, Jesus said, you must be born again. If you're here tonight and you don't know Christ as your Savior, that is number one on your list, is to take care of that tonight. Brother Gilbert said, I believe in 
being born again. He said, I believe in Christ's death on the cross as the sacrifice for our sins and that through Jesus we're saved. You know why he put it that way? Because so many people are believing through the sacraments and through the church and through their works and through giving. But listen, the only way, Jesus said, I am the way. Brother Gilbert wrote, as he went on, I believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. I love that. Jesus rose as he said he would. He said, I believe in the second coming of Jesus Christ. Not only the bodily resurrection, but the bodily return. Ye, ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus that went up from you shall some, so come again in like manner as you've seen him go up into heaven. Hey, one day the Lord's coming back. He's not sending someone else. He's coming himself. Brother Gilbert said, I believe in eternal salvation. Can't lose it. You know why? Because you never found it. God gave you eternal life. He's the giver of life. He's the giver of eternal life. Brother Gilbert said, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and that he gave the church two ordinances that we observe, baptism and the Lord's Supper. We baptized two people today, and I guess I must have kicked the stopper in the baptistry, and you heard it going, and I thought, I got to baptize quick this morning. I was running out of water, running out of territory, but we got them under. I said, Pastor, why is it so important that we put people under. Why can't we sprinkle? Because sprinkling's not in the Bible. You can't find it in the Word of God. But the Bible teaches that baptism is by immersion. Just like Jesus died on the cross and he was buried. We are buried with Christ in baptism, Romans 6, 3 and 4. I think Brother Gilbert understood how important those two ordinances are because both of them remind us of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He went on to say, I believe in tithing. You know, I'm, I'm convinced a lot of Christians don't know what tithing is. The word tithe means tenth. If you're going to live a life of obedience, you want God to bless your life and you don't tithe, God's not going to bless you. Say, I don't like that. Take it up with God. That's a hard one. Look, as a child of God, to not give the tithe to the Lord, the Bible says the tithe is the Lord's. To not give God what he asked for, what he deserves, the truth is God deserves it all. Why? Because it's all his. But when we withhold, Malachi said, will a man rob from God? That's what you're doing when you don't tithe. Here's Brother Gilbert, 86-year-old, still bringing, brought his offering by here. The last couple times he came by, he'd stop over here, and he'd open up his window. One time he threw it out the window. But he kept bringing it. 10%. You know what that means? Every penny you make, the first 10% is God's. If you're given less than that, then you don't believe in tithing. And you're standing in clear contradiction to the Word of God. Notice he says, I believe in soul winning. When was the last time you told somebody that Jesus saved? That there's a literal heaven and a literal hell. And if they don't know Christ as their Savior, they're going to spend eternity without the Lord. No chance to be united with the Lord in eternity. Can I go on to say, not only with what Brother Gilbert wrote, but I believe in the doctrine of the end times. I believe, as you say the word of God, the universal depravity of man that all men are sinners. I believe in the doctrine of the local church. Listen, you see the word church used 119 times in the New Testament of the Bible. Jesus said, I will build my church. 115 of the 119 times the word church is used, it's used in a local context. I believe in the local church. I believe in the doctrine of the Holy Spirit of God. Aren't you glad for the Holy Spirit? For his guidance, guiding us in all truth, the comfort that he brings in our lives. Look, the simple fact is I could go on and on about the convictions that I have from the Word of God, but do you know that your beliefs are based on your convictions? Do you know that? Your beliefs are based on your convictions. So you ought to ask yourself tonight, what are my convictions? Do I have any? 
Because the great place to go to study is the Word of God. 1 Timothy 4.16, take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine, continue in them. For in doing this, continuing in the doctrine of the Word of God, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. This is no time for the child of God to be throwing your convictions out with the trash. God says, look, I have given you, uh, I have taught you the things that you have learned, the things that you've been assured of. He says, I want you to continue in those things. I want you to have courage to hold on to your convictions in perilous times while things around us are unraveling. Continue in your convictions of doctrine, but continue in your convictions of discipleship. Look at verse 14 again, 2 Timothy 3. The things which thou hast learned and been assured of, Notice this, knowing of whom thou hast learned it. How many of you are glad and grateful for people that God has used in your life to teach you things? I think about those that have helped me. But think about this, listen. If you, listen, if you know what you believe, then you should be willing to live a life as an example to others. Because if we're living by our convictions in a day of difficulty, then God can use us. He uses people along with his work, word and his church to affect the lives of others. God uses human instrumentality. Put that picture up there, would you? These two men. The guy on my left, your right. Pastor Ken DeBose. That was the man that I was saved under. That was the man that I was not only saved under, I was baptized by him. He married my wife and myself. I was called to the ministry under his ministry. That man, God used, we affectionately called him preacher. I was there for 10 years at Bible Baptist Church in St. Charles, Missouri, And then God called me into full-time ministry. God doesn't do that in everybody's life. And God led me providentially to go to Powell, Tennessee. Say, where is Powell? That's Knoxville, Tennessee. Or as they say, Knoxville. And the ministry of Pastor Clarence Sexton. I never heard of the guy. But boy, did God use that man in my life. Taught me some things. I learned so many things from Pastor Clarence Sexton, and I was there, and I would have stayed there if God would have led me. But three years into that, at the end of three years, I graduated Bible college, and as I left there, God providentially led me to Baltimore, Maryland, to that man there known by Pastor Jack Caldwell. What a soldier. The man was an amazing man, served our country Should have received the Congressional Medal of Honor, but he wouldn't take it. Faithful man of God. I learned so much from that man. And then the last man, that's my current pastor, Pastor Paul Chapel. God gave me 12 years with my pastor before he brought me here. All of these men, you know what they were? Human instrumentality. God uses human instrumentality. For some of you, it might be maybe a Christian parent that God used in your life. For some of you, it might have been a youth pastor, Brother Kenny, or someone else. It might have been maybe a Christian worker, maybe just a brother or sister in Christ. Hey, listen, God uses people in our lives, and you may have had somewhere along the way, and I'm glad I haven't had that, but I know that I've seen it, and I know it happens often that you may have had someone that maybe was like a Jack Caldwell or a Paul Chapel in your life that for some reason they fell away. They made a mistake. But can I tell you that even if they fall away, listen to me, what they taught you is still true. Did you hear me? Don't keep your eyes on man. Keep your eyes on the Lord. But what they teach you is true, and that honestly, I believe, is a test of our faith. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians 3. Brethren, be followers together of me, 
and mark them which so walk so as ye have us for an example. Paul says, look, he says, I'm just trying to follow the pattern that God's given to me. And then later on, notice 2 Thessalonians, not because we have not power, but to make ourselves an example unto you to follow us. Paul said, be ye followers of me. Watch this. Not because I'm something big or because I'm the living in. He says, follow me as I follow after Christ. He says, look, I'm trying to follow the Lord. I'm just trying to be a pattern. I'm trying to be an example. And people say all the time, well, we ought not to follow a man. Listen, there's nothing wrong with following someone if they're following the Lord. You think about the Old Testament. Hey, they followed Moses. They followed Joshua. Now, they were following those men as those men followed the Lord. Paul said the same thing. He says, even as I also am of Christ, we ought to be willing to copy or to follow the examples of others. Paul told Timothy, when I call to remembrance the unfeigned or the sincere faith that is in thee, which first dwelt in thy grandmother Lois and in thy mother Eunice. And he says about Timothy, he says, look, it was in your grandma and it was in your mom, but it was in the genes, he says, because I am persuaded that it's in thee also. He said, somewhere along the way, Timothy, you got a hold of it. You took it to heart. You believed it, not because your grandma believed it, not because your mom believed it. You believed it because it was the word of God, is what he said. I love it. Listen, Christian. Do not, as Paul exhorts Timothy, don't forget what you've learned. And you know what happens when perilous times come? We begin to doubt. Should I really believe the Word of God? Tonight, I'm thankful for the Bible. I'm thankful for the Word of God. Because God's Word helps me to live a life of courage. God's Word helps me to live a life of conviction. God's Word helps me to live a life of confidence Verse number 15 of 2 Timothy 3, thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, the Word of God, that are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Folks, look, we have to have a confidence in God's Word. We, thou hast known the Holy Scriptures. The Bible, yes, it was penned by man, but it was authored by the Holy Spirit of God. Hey, take your Bible for a second. Hold your place here. Go over just a couple of books to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter number 10. Look at this. I don't know if you've ever seen this before, but I'm talking about how God allowed some 40 different individuals to pen the words of God over 1,500 years. But listen, the Holy Spirit of God, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, the Bible says. And notice here in Revelation chapter number 10, and we call oftentimes calling John the Revelator at the end of the first century. Notice as John, by the way, can you imagine being John and having to write? I have a hard time reading the word, the book of Revelation. John was writing it, and notice what it says in t- chapter 10 and verse number 4. When the seven thunders had uttered their voices, I was about to what? To write. And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Seal up those things which the seven thunders uttered and write them not. God says, Paul, lay your pen, or John, lay your pen down. You don't need to write that. You see, there are some things that God says, look, I'm not going to include that. Because it was all authored by God, God's Holy Spirit. And look, we can know of God without the Bible. Did you hear me tonight? We can, know, we can know of God without the Bible, but we cannot know God personally without the Bible. The Bible says in Romans chapter 1 and verse 19, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. You see, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Here's a great verse, 2 Peter 2.21, for the prophecy, and the word prophecy there is a word that is synonymous with the Bible. The Bible says, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man. People say all the time, well, that's a book of man. No, it's not. That's God's book. Every word of God, all God's word is true. 
And notice the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit of God. The Bible, you know what it is? It's a living book. I love the Bible, how the Word of God is so alive. And how do we know this? Because the Bible, how, how about this? Have you discovered that every time you open up the Bible, it's fresh? It's not stale. You ever open up your Bible and read something you've read before and you're like, wow, wow, I never, I never saw that before. Almost like God just put it there. It's been there all along. You see, the Bible is always fresh. The Bible is never obsolete. The Word of God is indestructible. Hitler tried and he failed. You cannot destroy the Word of God. The Bible is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. The Bible produces growth in our lives. It is a book that is alive. It gives life. Not only is it alive and gives life, but it sustains life. The Word of God is quick. It's alive. It's powerful. Sharper than any two-edged sword, even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and the joints and marrow. It's a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Hey, look, Bible believers have a message tonight, and the message that we have is a message of hope during difficult times. The world may be more receptive if you found out by now during times that are difficult, during times that are uncertain. Peter writes and says, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always. Folks, that's why we've got to have the word of God in our hearts so that we can give an answer to every man that asketh you of the reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. A lot of generations and days gone by during the time of the early church, they've been persecuted for their belief simply in this. They believed in salvation, salvation by grace through faith alone. The pilgrims were being persecuted and they left England and they made their way to Holland and then they eventually left and came to the New World, to North America. They had no idea what awaited them when they arrived in this land, in this world that we call America. And they had no idea, but I'll tell you this, it must have been worth it for the risk that they took to come here. You see, in our day, we live in perilous times. There are many places in the world today, particularly communist, and many areas that are Muslim countries, not all, where people are being arrested, people are being executed for believing something other than what the government wants them to believe. Do you know that's, that's really the plan in our country today? Just to have a one world religion? And that one world religion is not Jesus Christ on the throne. You see, they would love to supplant Jesus as the supreme ruler. And we see that in this day that we live, we need to live a life of confidence. All of these and many more are examples of people. People that we need to be like that had a confidence in God's word. They had a confidence in the message of salvation. And we need to live a life of confidence in God's word. We need to live a life of confidence in God's work. The Bible says again in verse number 15, he says here, And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, Listen to this, which are able to make thee wise. I think about the work of God. That's why I love the church. Do you know that that's the vehicle that God is using today to reach the world with the gospel is the church? We're privileged to have 62 missionaries and maybe we'll have even more, but the local church has been given the task of sharing God's message to the world. That's why we have those t-shirts. That's why we're having a special day I love my church. You know why? Because it's his. And we love it. See, we must be conscientious in these perilous times. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 1.18, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. See, we need to have confidence not only in God's word, but confidence in God's work. That's why I'm glad I'm a part of the church. Folks, you can't get that from some TV. God has a work for us to do. But notice, I also see we need to have confidence in God's way. Look back in verse 15. He says, the Holy Scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in what? Christ Jesus. A faith that's in Christ Jesus. 
That's why Paul said in Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it, the gospel, is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Here's one thing I want to remind you tonight, Christian, as we're living in times that are unraveling, that God's way is always perfect. Don't ever doubt what God's doing. God is on the throne. God is sovereign. And even though things are unraveling, what must we do? We must live a life of courage during these perilous times. We must live a life of Bible-based convictions. And we must live a life that we have a confidence in the Word of God and a confidence in the work of God and a confidence in the way of God. Folks, I'm not much of a preacher, but I'll tell you one thing. It's very easy to preach the Word of God. When I don't preach the Bible and I start to veer off and chase rabbits, that's when I get in trouble. But I'm glad that God's given me something that I don't have to look around on what am I going to preach. I think I'll just preach the book. Because the Bible is the only thing that man needs to show us our way to God. Perilous times. Things, listen, things are unraveling around us. Just be like that old farmer. Just get out to the field and sow the seed. Get out to the field and reap the harvest. Don't worry about what's happening in this world. Keep your eyes on the Lord. Would you bow your heads with me tonight with our heads bowed and our eyes closed? I wonder tonight, would you stand with me to your feet? As we stand with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, let's just take a moment on a Sunday night as I think about this, this hour that we live in, the verse I shared this morning, knowing that it is high time that we awake out of sleep. Christian, would you come tonight and say, God, I need courage to face every day because these are difficult days. There's a lot of deception that's in this world Help me to see what is right and what is wrong, what is true and what is false. Some of you tonight, listen, you ought to come and say, I want to know what I believe. How's your conviction? I know some of you that are living for the Lord, your convictions are being put to the test. Why don't you come tonight and say, Lord, help me when those times come, not not to fight back, but to share my beliefs with others. You know what happens when we share our beliefs with others? People actually hear the truth. And people's lives are changed. People get saved because we share the truth with them. How's your confidence tonight? I know my confidence in myself is nothing. But my confidence in God his word, his work, and his way. There is no other way. It's not about denominations. It's about Jesus. The altar's open tonight. Whether you come, maybe make work where you're at an altar that you can spend some time with the Lord. Take a few minutes tonight as the piano plays.